0: Mark I serve as one of the pastors here at the Hallows Church and I'm recognizing a lot of unfamiliar faces so hopefully I can I can meet you all uh, after the after our gathering this morning um, if you are new if this is your first time here with us welcome we have been walking through the book of the Gospel of Luke which is what we've titled a story for sinners and sufferers And what this is This is walking through this gospel Studying this gospel together To see how Jesus Comes to very real situations Very real people Very broken moments of life And addresses the human condition In a way with grace and love To show us how he How Jesus, the son of God Has come to seek and to save The lost, and that's what the book of Luke has been showing us this uh, for the last few months, and is going to continue to do so. So, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, and if you don't have a Bible and you need one, we have Bibles in the back right over here. But while you're turning there, in my studies this week, I, I was reflecting on this story. ...that I'll share with you while you're kind of uh, turning to Luke chapter 4... ...and we're going to be in, by the way, in verses 16 through 30... ...so it's kind of the second half of that chapter. So this story came to my mind of when I was in Guam. So before my family and I moved back to Seattle... ...we are, I'm, I'm from the east side, so kind of born and raised in this kind of area. But when we came, when we were in Guam... I was going to a little Bible college there and this Bible college was a um, very much an international Bible college and it's one where in Guam, surrounding Guam are are all of these small little Micronesian islands if you're familiar with kind of the South Pacific area and this college was a great spot for the Micronesian Islanders those in the surrounding like Chuuk allow these different islands to come and they would get this college education there they would get equipped for ministry they would go back to their islands and they would begin different ministries or pastor churches or some would just go to come to Guam for this uh, good learning experience of learning English all sorts of stuff but because I was there I was going to the Bible college and I just had felt like culture shock all the time it took a lot of getting used to when I first started going there I don't know if you've ever been to another country um, or if you've been to another country for a long period of time but after the excitement of being there and like the wow this is so different then the kind of question of how do I how do I culturally adapt to this new surrounding this new area and the biggest one of these moments that I had was when I was in between classes, and I went into the men's dorm. In the men's dorm, there was like five or six guys, and they were mostly from Palau, which is one of the one of the surrounding islands. And they came in, super friendly people. I, I like, still to this day, I still keep in touch with, with many of them. But this was kind of a first experience, a first interaction, and they were just sitting down to eat lunch. And as I came in, they were like, Mark, come and sit and have, have lunch with us. And I had already packed my, my lunch already, and so I didn't really necessarily need it. But when I saw it, saw their lunch, it was just this big plowder that had been sitting out all day, giant mound of rice with canned raw spam, just like dropped on the top, and then with fish mixed in. And it had been sitting for like so many hours that it stained the, the rice like Kind of orangey pink you know it just kind of had that feel and there was an aroma you know there was an essence <laughs> to this and I was like every class of my food handler's permit thing was like going <laughs> off like <laughs> bacteria you are in the bacteria zone this is this is going to hurt you <laughs> and I remember sitting down and I was like I can't eat that I can't eat that it's coming closer it's coming closer it's before me. I can't eat it. I don't know what I'm gonna say. And and I was and I remember saying, "Oh, I think I, I think I'll pass because I already have I already have my bag." And I said this, guys. It's a gluten-free sandwich. It's you know, <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, okay." And so Palauans are sup- They're super polite, and they're not like a culture that pushes back or is like. Um, will demonstrate that they're opposed to kind of like what you're doing. They don't want you to do that. So they're, so they're very like, okay, yeah, that's great. That's good. And then, But I was getting so uncomfortable, totally failed here. I remember saying, and guys, I actually can't stay. I need to get up, and I got to read for the next class because I was so uncomfortable. And so I get up, and I start to leap, and then they're like, wait, Mark, would you pray for us? Before, even though you have to go, would you pray for us before we eat? And I was like, I am doing all of the wrong things right now. This is, this is, what are you doing, you know? But then anyway, I prayed, and guys, I left. I left, and I sat in my hot car in Guam weather, not running. I sat in my car, read my book of theology, and ate my gluten-free sandwich, and I remember... God asked me a question in that moment. I still remember it. He said, how's your gluten-free sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, that didn't go well. He's, yeah, I know. <laughs> and he proceeded to press, impress on my heart that I had missed a huge opportunity To see Jesus' ministry at work, that I had missed for the sake of comfortability, kind of presuming that it wasn't a big deal that I would remove myself from that, that I had missed Jesus' ministry right there. While I was sitting in my car reading about Jesus, he was working in the dorms in that very moment. And friends, each of us, if you're a Christian, if you identify as a a follower of Jesus, each of us will have moments where we will miss opportunities that Jesus is ministering and Jesus' mission is presented. But the good news is that in those moments where I would say, God, I have failed. Right after the Spirit impressed on my heart that I had missed this moment, He also presented the fact and the reality that Jesus is still in control, that He's still good and He's still gracious to me, even me, the one presuming that this ministry and what I was doing kind of had to look a certain type of way or that I didn't want to do what He was offering this opportunity for. And so this morning, we're going to ask these three kind of basic questions as we look at this passage where we get to see Jesus going into Nazareth, his hometown, and we get to see the reactions and responses that they have. These three questions are What is the mission and ministry of Jesus? Who is the mission and ministry of Jesus for? And lastly, how is the mission and ministry of Jesus accomplished? So let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for your grace this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for guiding us and leading us, even in moments. Even in moments like the ones that I I just shared, where we miss an opportunity to see Jesus' ministry at work. God, bring us back to seeing how wonderful Jesus is. And understand what his mini- mission and ministry are for, who therefore, and just how he accomplished it. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have Luke chapter 4, this is verses. Uh, we're going to start by going into verses 18 and 21. So as you kind of put your finger there, kind of ready, let me give you a little bit of the backstory here. We have Jesus. He just finished last week. We were going through Jesus's temptations in the wilderness with Satan. And just prior before that, very counter to that moment, was Jesus's baptism. And so now we're entering into this next chapter, if you will, where Luke ...is bringing Jesus, is showing how Jesus is brought to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, he hasn't been there since he was a little kid. But everyone knows Jesus. Everyone has seen him. They saw him grow up. So the scene opens with him coming back after this ministry of Galilee. And by this point, he's kind of famous. He's getting well known for what he's been doing for his ministry... In Galilee, and so the people have kind of heard what he's done, and it kind of they invite him and kind of make it fitting for him to come and share the sermon or the word, or read the scripture for that Sabbath day. In a normal service, it would start by everyone kind of coming coming to the synagogue. There'd be singing of psalms, there'd be reciting the Shema, which is the "Hear, O Israel, the Lord." is one God, the Lord is one, followed by various benedictions. And then this assistant would go into the ark, lift the ark, and pull out the scrolls. And he'd pull out the scrolls, and they'd open them up, and then there would be this reading of the scriptures. then as soon as that was done, the teacher would go and then teach. And this is all happening. The assistant comes, he grabs the, scroll, the scrolls, and for that day, so this is the cool part, we don't know if it was something that Jesus selected or if it was just following through the order of the scripture readings. We, we are thinking, scholars also think, that this was more providential than it was a set planned thing for Jesus. But either way, Isaiah, is, the book of Isaiah is brought out. The scroll is opened up, and Jesus begins to recite this. This is Isaiah 61. And here we find the answer to our first question What is the mission and ministry of Jesus? So let me draw your attention there to verses 18 through 21, where Jesus reads to the people The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to the sight to, of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now, Jesus sitting down was a a position that teachers would make as they were going to, to teach. It wasn't like the mic drop, like, it's been fulfilled. And then he goes and sits down. It wasn't like that. He was sitting down, and at that moment, that is where everyone's eyes and minds are all captivated on what is he going to say next? What does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus just said that these scriptures have been fulfilled. That's exactly what it meant, is that his mission is to declare in Nazareth that he has been sent to bring salvation to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, the oppressed, and to proclaim God's favor. And surprisingly, Jesus leaves out a part in Isaiah. Isaiah. Right after it says in verse uh, 19 here, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, there's an additional sentence that that he doesn't say, which is, and the day of our God's vengeance. Now, people knew the scriptures, so their fixating stares were both in somewhat amazement and surprise because they're asking Jesus, well, how come you didn't finish it? Where's the rest of it? Where's the vengeance part? But Jesus' mission was to say in that moment that because of me, there is no vengeance one would experience from God. Only good news. Jesus was fulfilling the law God required and his mission to bring good news that sets people free. Removing God's vengeance and judgment from sinners. It was good news that he was declaring. His mission is explaining his ministry. So what, what, why was he there for? What would his ministry be? It would be to the poor. Now Nazareth was already a socioeconomically poor place. So there's definitely an emphasis that Luke wants to address there with that. But more than that, Jesus is also speaking to the spiritually poor, the poor in spirit. His address goes beyond a socioeconomic status to reach this to speak into a posture and position that each of us has felt. Of being poor in spirit to which he then is going to he's going to um, elaborate on here in a little bit but also to the captives what does that mean he's speaking to those in a spiritual captivity in bondage to sin and darkness as we've seen through his ministry in galilee that he is releasing people from a spiritual bondage from spiritual oppression which is why he's speaking into i've come to save to help the captives and the oppressed for those who felt and were feeling a crushing weight of helplessness, paralyzed in situations outside of their control, or who found themselves living in consequences of a lifetime of poor decisions, Jesus had set his eyes towards them to bring them freedom. Jesus is bringing liberty. And dignity to the captives, to the poor in spirit, to the oppressed. In the 18th century, John Wesley, this kind of this uh, English preacher, he made this historical impression on England. One Sunday afternoon, when at that time the only real way that you would, if you wanted to experience, if you wanted to Um, go to church was and to experience fellowship was to go to a church right and there was very much an understanding or a presumption that Jesus God operates in the walls of the church so if you're not here on Sunday you're not experiencing the ministry of Jesus the problem was is that there was a lot of rural farmers out there. So people couldn't get there all the time. And not only that, there was a limited capacity of the churches. And depending on your class and depending on what kind of church that you were in and the different types of priests that were there, you may not get in. And John Wesley kind of sent this, never thought of before concept, I'm going to go out and preach into the fields. I'm going to go to these rural areas and I'm going to preach to them. In hopes that people would see Jesus' mission and ministry. And the first, this first Sunday afternoon when he went out, he goes out and 3,000 people show up. 3,000 families Farmers, workers in all of these areas gather around to hear it. And what does John Wesley preach? What's the first thing that he preaches? This passage. To show and to demonstrate that Jesus' ministry cannot be presumed to only reside within the walls of the church, but because the church is not a place but a people... Jesus' ministry is access to all those who can receive the good news by faith through grace. This mission and ministry of Jesus is a mission of salvation and freedom to those who need rescuing. Which leads us to this next question of who is the mission and ministry of Jesus for? And going back to this story, the first people are struck by these words. They're captivated by what he said. How amazing is, is this Jesus? But suddenly, there's this turning point. The mood changed from silent awe to bodies shifting uncomfortably, then to little murmurs here and there. Let's read verse 22. They were all speaking well of him, and they were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me Doctor, heal yourself. What well, we've heard that, you took, that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. Verse 24. He also said truly I tell you no prophet is accepted in his own town in his hometown but I say to you there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for 3 years and 6 months while the great famine came over all the land yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow in Nazareth in Sidon And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So, they're admiring Jesus' words, but were totally unmoved and unaffected by their meaning. That is until they started to realize that Jesus was talking about them when he was talking about being poor in spirit, being captive. Then it started to get uncomfortable. It's one thing to be moved by Jesus' words, but it is another to be personally changed by them. As the crowd began to realize that he was talking about them, just like Satan's third temptation that we see in the wilderness, if you say you're anointed... Prove it. You come here, you come back to your hometown, we know you, Jesus. You're coming saying that you are the anointed one fulfilling God's plan? Prove it. We've grown up with you. But Jesus wasn't wasn't moved or affected by that. Even though they just asked that one question, he knew the hearts and he knew their posture of resistance that they were having in that very moment, which is why he addressed these things, these these stories of the Old Testament. Right? And that's where we see Jesus' answer to this question. Receiving the gift of salvation doesn't come through insisting Jesus conforms to our agenda, rather conforming to his through a posture of humility and dependence. Who is the mission and ministry of Jesus for? It is for the humble and dependent on him. And he begins to share this but we can see this throughout the scriptures, if we were to, to open them up and we were to see what is the posture that one has coming before Jesus and knowing who is Jesus wanting to minister to. 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And again in Matthew verse se- or chapter 7, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it? Why? Why is is he saying that? Because there is a natural disposition due to the human condition to insist that Jesus can be placed on a shelf and called upon when the time is right for us, and not approach Jesus in a posture of dependence, that posture is a posture of pride that expects God to act on my terms when I want him to, to which Jesus is saying, no, that's not how I operate. Living in spiritual presumption Is a dangerous approach to Jesus Living in spiritual presumption Is a dangerous approach to Jesus Which is why Jesus brings up Elijah and the widow If you're unfamiliar with this story It's a very captivating story in 1 Kings Where you have Elijah Being told by God to go To this widow during this famine And this widow Obviously alone she only has her son And everyone's starving In the area And in her spot in her little little House she has no Food left but one Little tiny jar of flour And Elijah comes up to her And by God telling him He says have her Make you a loaf of bread So that you can eat With her last remaining jar of flour And when Elijah comes up to her and he, and he gives her this And he asks what she's doing She says well I'm making one last loaf So that my son and I can go inside and die And then Elijah asks her immediately Make me the loaf God has come to, to ask me To make the, you to make the loaf for me And this is what Elijah says to her Don't be afraid, go and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it to me now. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says, the flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends. Rain on the surface of the land so she proceeded to do so according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman Elijah and her el- household ate for many days. So God provides everything that she needs in this moment. Now what was Jesus saying comparing this the, Naz- the uh, Nazareth people to? this story because her actions demonstrated her trust and her faith if she would have been like the people in Nazareth she would have demanded and expected a miracle first I'll make you a loaf of bread sure but you've got to provide me the flour to make it You see so why didn't she because she realized her poverty and lack of resources. And this is the thing about God that is so wonderful about him, is that God doesn't compete with coincidence. He wants it to be abundantly clear that it is he who is operating. So that in the end, after this miracle that has happened, that there is no no subtleties. That was God who just acted. And he's demonstrating this here to her. God doesn't compete with coincidence. If she had this little barrel of flour, she may have put her faith in the flour providing for her. So he wanted to make it clear that he was providing for her. Her blessing was that she was poor and she knew it. That was her blessing. And the application here is is obvious. One commentator, Kent Hughes, he's a pastor, he writes, if they wanted evidence that Jesus' claims to the poor, blind, captives, and oppressed were true, all they had to do was trust him, and there would have been ample evidence But of course, that was their problem. And if they weren't offended by that moment, then they were definitely offended when Jesus brought up the story of Naaman. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Naaman, Naaman was this Syrian soldier, a high-ranking soldier who got leprosy. And one of his servants told him, there's this guy named Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, that can heal you. His God can heal you if you go visit him. And so this, so this story is uh, of Naaman traveling to Elijah. But once he gets to Elijah's door, Elijah doesn't even see him. He, in fact, Elijah sends his messenger to go and tell Naaman, Go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. And this is what happens to Naaman. This is Naaman's reaction and why it's so important for the Nazar- For uh, this, this moment. It says, But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the place and cure my skin disease. Then he started complaining about the foreign waters of the Jordan and he left in a rage. Isn't that so, before we continue, isn't that so realistic when something isn't going our way? I thought I was going to show up, some things were going to happen, I was going to say praise Jesus and then I was going to leave about my day. Why do I still have leprosy in this problem? What's going on here? So he wants to leave, because he's like, never mind. I don't care. But his servants convinced him that being cured of his disease won't come from a posture of presumption, a posture of pride, but only a posture of humility and dependence. He had to approach the waters, not on his own agenda, in his own terms, but on God's. It could not happen through His will. But as they tell him that, they convince him, and he goes into the waters, and he jumps in and out seven times. 2 Kings 5 says, So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and because like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. Friends, we have to be so careful not to live in a state where our understanding of the scriptures maybe, maybe our experience as a Christian doesn't lead us to a posture of pride and presumption. We have to believe and remember and remind ourselves that Jesus operates on his agenda. And we will miss, we will miss knowing it if we enter in and think that everything happens ...the way that we think it will. Let me give you an example of a humbling moment for me. One time Amy and I, we were in... This was pre-kids, years ago. Eight, nine, ten years ago, something like that. We're in Capitol Hill. And we're in the downtown kind of big strip on Broadway. And we're out there, and we're going. And this was during one of the times of the season of the city... ...where there's a lot of pride parades happening... There's a lot of stuff going on and I remember we're going in we're shopping or something and I come out and I just see all of this parade of things happening and I remember my my first thought was man this is kind of messed up like there's a lot happening here there's a lot of things that I am opposed to right now and very uncomfortable by and in that moment To my failure, I had thought, there's nothing happening here. I'm out. I'm going to leave. And in the corner of my eye, I remember so clearly, I looked, and there's this little tent. uh, Not a little tent, but like one of those little covers, uh, like a tent cover. And underneath was a small little church. And this little church was preparing these tables right in the middle of the strip of Broadway during all of this activity and offering free hot dogs and chili. And I was looking across the street and in all of my presumption, I'm like, no one's going to come to that. Like, look at all these fancy restaurants and everything. I was so wrong. And I really learned my lesson that day because the crowd that came out to receive this free food was a completely different crowd that I had seen all around me. There were those who were coming. It, was, I, it wasn't very warm outside, but they were coming in very little clothing, and you could see the needle marks all across their arms. You could see the distress that they had had, and you could see the rejection of, that society was giving them. And me, a Christian, was standing across the street looking at Jesus' mission right across from me. And as everyone was lining up, this line wasn't just a few friends, it wrapped around the entire block. People were starting to look out their windows of what this little church, this little group of people were doing. What were they doing? They were showing kindness. To people who haven't experienced a smile in months they were being kind they were being loving they were giving someone tangible tangible evidences of God's grace in ministry food in this place where I had thought a church wouldn't thrive here God was showing me I don't operate on those terms. I don't operate on presumptions that I can't move deeply where the poor in spirit need it. When Jesus gave this message, everyone breaks into a rage. Let's read And kind of address this last question of how is Jesus' ministry, how is the ministry and mission of Jesus accomplished? Let's read verses 18 and hear the response of what they say. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Isn't that kind of, isn't that fascinating? I love those subtle sentences that Jesus just passed through. And not in the kind of sense that we've heard in stories in the past where like he became part of the crowd and said, yeah, throw Jesus off, and then snuck away. It wasn't like that. He just disappeared. People just didn't see him leave. And it shows us that Jesus was in complete control of his mission and ministry. This was not his time to be captured. But when we ask this question, how is, Jesus, how is the ministry and mission of Jesus accomplished? It's accomplished because Jesus would give himself over to set aside all of his divinity and his power to be rejected, to endure suffering, and to be captured. He will be taken captive so that captives would be set free. So that captives would be set free. If you feel a helplessness, a sense of being trapped, well, we would, in the church, we would call that a state of being in bondage, feeling like you can't get out of something, know that Jesus accomplished His mission and ministry because He went to the cross, endured rejection, suffered and gave himself over to be captive so that you, captive to bondage, feeling the weight of oppression, feeling a sense of, of helplessness, poor in spirit, he came and accomplished his mission and ministry for you. ...came for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says... ...he made the one... ...who did did not know... uh, ...I made a typo... ...what does it say? He made the one who did not know sin... ...to be sin for us... ...so that in him we might become... ...the righteousness of God. In the midst of this mob screaming... ...death threats at him he remained unmoved and determined because in a later time, another mob would succeed. And what continues to baffle me to this day is that Jesus doesn't just end it there, but Jesus accomplishes his mission now through his church. Through those people who were in that tent serving when Luke is writing to Theophilus in Acts chapter 1, he says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, all about Jesus, what bit Jesus began to do and teach. But this was only the beginning because Jesus continues to plan by equipping us with the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. And it is baffling to recognize that Jesus calls his church to carry out his mission and continues to do so. But it's also invigorating to us. Colossians 1:24 I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and am completed in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God Fully known. What the scriptures tell us and what the story presents us with is as we are going to follow Jesus as his church in his mission and his ministry, we won't stop until he does so. We have to be careful not to presume that his ministry must operate in a certain way or else it doesn't work. We also have to keep our minds and our hearts in a posture of humility and dependence to look at what he is doing because only then when we are able to look at what Jesus is doing through the Spirit, only then are we able to address this same type of question. When you are confronted with Jesus, when you see the reality of Jesus, will you receive him or will you reject him? Everyone is confronted with this reality of Jesus. But the statement that I also want to provide when we bring questions, when we bring that question to our neighbors, to our, our family members, to our friends, to those we care about, to those we want to see, Jesus save. This is the next statement I have that I want to address to you. Don't miss His ministry and presume His movements. A posture of humility is a posture used for purpose. A posture of humility is a posture used for purpose. Jesus is so good to us and so gracious to us that when we have moments of failure, when we have moments of helplessness, of difficulty, When we even have moments of of bondage, of captivity, of going back into, falling back into sin, He is so good to us that He does not leave us there, but He brings us out by demonstrating His power and His goodness to us. Jesus' mission and ministry is for us, for His glory. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us. We pray, God, that we might through the help of the Holy Spirit see things clearly and not be spiritually blind like those in Nazareth were. That we might see you and experience your love and your grace through faith through the holy spirit to know that you are taking care of taking care of us that your ministry is alive and well not because of our own rights and because of the things that we've done but because you you are the one who accomplished everything and you alone are the one who is going to see it to fulfillment The scriptures are about you. And we thank you for them so that we might know you all the better. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.